Well, good morning again, everyone. Hey, Rob. Rob, is this microphone supposed to move? Uh, no. no, I can, I can talk into two microphones. I just don't know what to do. Like that space occupies this space, and something about physics class a long time ago said something about that. I don't know. Uh, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas out there, uh, everywhere we go. Um, don't worry, that's as far as we're going to go with that song. I'm not going to sing. Uh, Brad mentioned a little bit earlier, kind of slipping around out there, so hopefully you guys all got in here safe. But I've got a little, little story to share first that has nothing to do with what we'll be getting into here in just a minute. But, um, but if, if you've been driving for like five years or less, don't listen to anything that I'm about to share for the next 30 seconds. But on my way in here, first, no, you've just got to do this, right, guys? I'm kind of pulling down this, this kind of street up here off 120th Street, pull into, I think that's M Street, and it kind of curves around a little bit by that gas station up there if you guys come in that way. So I'm just like, you've got to enjoy a little bit of Slick Road, so I just gun it around that curve and kind of do the whole fishtail thing in my 99 Buick Century, and it was awesome. So snow is here. Well, now we are going to uh, pray <laughs> uh, <laughs> and move into things that way. And then we, we're excited to learn from God's word this morning. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you for, for your power over creation that we are, that we are reminded of this morning as we, as we drive through snow and see your creation, your power over, over nature at work. But Jesus, we're also reminded that you are powerful through your word and in our midst that way. And so Jesus, we pray that you would work your your powerful work in us as we, as we look at your word together and as we look at Jesus Christ and see what we might learn from him this morning. Jesus, we love you and we pray these things in your name today. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing the series we've been in in the Gospel of John, where what we're doing is we're looking at a number of statements Jesus makes about himself where he reveals to us who he is, but, but also kind of in line with that, how we can relate to him based off of who he is. And as we learn more about Jesus through these series of I am statements, we discover pretty quickly that, that as Jesus tells us who he is, he's, he's at the same time answering some really big questions that we all have about life. And so a couple weeks ago, Jeff started us out on this series, and, and the question he brought to us is, is who's going to guide me? I am, Jesus says, and we saw that as the light of the world, Jesus gives us meaningful direction that takes us where we need to go. And then last week, Steve asked us a second question. Among the menu of things in our life that are competing for our satisfaction, the question is, who? Who is going to satisfy me? And again, we see Jesus saying, I am, as the bread of life, only in Jesus do we find true and lasting satisfaction. And the third question we're looking at this morning is, who's going to save me? Now, you all are smart. <laughs> we're, we're the third weekend of the series now, so, so you know the answer to that question is supposed to be Jesus. <laughs> and you're right. That's exactly where we're going this morning. But before you tune me out or you think this is going to hold some record for shortest sermon ever, 
let me press into that question a little bit more because because before we too quickly glance over it because we think we know the easy answer, I think that if we ask ourselves a couple of really important follow-up questions, we'll see how important and life-changing asking ourselves this question really can be. So here's some of those follow-up questions that kind of dig into this who's going to save me question a little bit more deeply. First, what, what if Jesus needs to save me in a deeper way than I expect? Or, or what if the ways that I think I need to be saved, what if they don't fully exhaust all of the ways I really need to be saved? What if there's more to Jesus' offer of salvation than I think, not less? What, what if salvation is bigger than I think, not smaller? Or, or let me come at things this way. Every few months, I bring my car into our mechanic to get my oil changed. And just this last visit, my, my mechanic, he changes my oil, but he also says that the car battery is getting pretty low, and he says the, the shocks on the, front, on the front wheels of my car, they're, they're working at about 30% capacity. I bring my car in thinking that I need one thing addressed, right? I bring my car in for an oil change. But, but in reality, a couple of of potentially even more serious issues need attention. Because if my car's oil is, is changed and clean and all the things you want oil to be, if, if my oil's changed, but if my car battery is dead and my car won't start, I'm missing something, right? Or if, if, if my oil is changed, but if I'm sending up sparks from the front end of my car every time I go over a speed bump or a pothole because the shocks aren't working right, then, then my car isn't working the way that it was designed. You see, my mechanic, because of his expertise, he can tell me about needs that I have in terms of my car that I don't even know about. And under his care, my car can run the way it was de- it's designed to run for as long as possible. So back to our question, who's going to save me? Yes, yes, the answer is Jesus. But it's so important for us to understand that there are more ways for Jesus to save us. Salvation is bigger than we think, than we often come to it with. We, we think we need an oil change. But Jesus says, no, there's so much more than just that that needs attention. And so, so the, the issue isn't only knowing the answer to the question, who's going to save me? The, on, the only issue isn't knowing that Jesus saves Instead, this just leads us to another question that we've all got to ask. How? How does Jesus need to save me? How does Jesus need to work his saving power in my life? How does Jesus want to work his saving power in my life? The story we're going to look at today from John chapter 11 is, is kind of like my trip to the mechanic we're going to meet two ladies, Mary and Martha, who come to Jesus looking for an oil change. They're going to come to Jesus looking for help in one very specific area, but they're they're going to realize that Jesus knows there are areas in their life that, that, that need attention just as much as these other things. Jesus' saving power is bigger than they think. Jesus saves us in greater ways than we think not less. And so, so let's go to John chapter 11 together. 
Let's dig into God's word. I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter, right away in verse 1. We're going to start by seeing some, some important background material in this first set of verses I'm going to read. Verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus is sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, this is the same one who pours perfume on the Lord and wipes his feet with her hair in the next chapter. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Straightforward, right? One of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, is sick. And we're not told what the sickness is. The passage doesn't say. But this is something that's more than just a common cold or a, 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 a headache that's persisted for a few days. Something serious is going on. We're going to see this is, this is a deathbed-type incident. And the reason we know that is because Jesus is, is probably about two days' travel from the village of Bethany where Mary and Martha are. And so for them to go out of their way like they do, to send a messenger two days there, two days back, to let Jesus know that Lazarus is sick— this is serious, and we know what, what they're asking. This isn't, just a, this isn't just a Facebook status update giving Jesus some information. No, we know that when they're going out of their way like this, to let Jesus know that Lazarus, Lazarus is really sick, Jesus, they're asking Jesus to heal him. They're asking Jesus to snap his fingers or come to Bethany or whatever Jesus wants to do. But Mary and Martha, they've seen what Jesus has done in his ministry. They've heard the stories. They want Jesus to heal Lazarus. They want to go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, and then five minutes later, or five minutes after Jesus gets there, for Lazarus to say, huh, you know what? I'm feeling better. That's what they want. Jesus hears this news of Lazarus' death, or of Lazarus' sickness, and we get his first response to, to this in verse 4. Look, look at the, the, the first way Jesus responds there with me. When Jesus heard that Lazarus is sick, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. Now the messenger is like, right on. That's exactly the news that he wanted to hear after he'd brought the news to Jesus. And so, so he's like, great. Okay, let's, let's go back. Let's hightail it to Bethany. You know, Let's get Lazarus back in a good spot. And then Jesus, you can go back about your business. But, but here's where the story starts to take a little bit of a turn. Here's where we start to get some tension in this chapter. Because the way things unfold here isn't the way that I would think if I was just writing a story, you know? As we look at this, as, at this historical incident, things happen in a way that I wouldn't expect. Jesus, um, verse 6, he says, When Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, he stays where he is two more days. And then he says to his disciples, let's go back to, to Judea. So Jesus stays where he's at. He doesn't hightail it to Bethany. No, Jesus says, okay, Lazarus is really sick. Okay, messenger, we'll see you in a couple days. That's not the way we think things unfold. And then things take an even more serious turn. More tension rises. Because as, as we look at the next set of verses, the next dozen or so verses in this chapter, the thing that happens is we find out Lazarus has died. So, so whatever Jesus said back in verse 4, no, this sickness won't end in death, it did. You see, uh, 
things weren't happening the way Mary and Martha wanted. They thought Lazarus would be healed when they went to Jesus. They went expecting an oil change. But instead, Lazarus is now there dead. He's in a tomb. When Jesus does get near the village of Bethany, because Lazarus' sickness, his, his death doesn't stop Jesus from going to Bethany. When Jesus draw, does draw near to Bethany, Lazarus, we, we find out he, he's been in the tomb for four days. And Mary's there, Martha's there. There's a crowd that's around them that had gathered for the funeral, that's there for support and comfort. They're still there. So, so Jesus, as he approaches Bethany, he's walking into a situation, right, where people were expecting one thing, got something very different. There's some tension here. And let, let, let's look at a series of interactions that Jesus has with, with Martha, with Mary, and with, with the, these unnamed others that are there for the family in verses 17 to 37. In, in each of these interactions, we learn that Martha, Mary, and these others, they wanted Jesus to do something very specific. So, so let's read these verses together just so we can see what, what they're saying. Verse 21 I'm going to start reading in verse 20, but verse 21 is going to be what comes up on the screen. So, so first we read about Martha approaching Jesus. When Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she goes out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And then we read what Martha says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, so we know in that encounter, Mary's at home. Jump down a few verses to verse 32, and by this point, Mary, now herself, has come to Jesus. Verse 32, let's see what Mary says to Jesus when, we, when she comes to him. When, when Mary reaches the place where Jesus is and sees him, she falls at his feet and says, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my son would not, or, or, or my brother would not have died. Same exact words, do you see it? That Martha had spoken. They wanted the same thing. And then this, this crowd of people in verse 37, they're essentially saying the same thing too. Verse 37 says, but, but then some of these others say to Jesus, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In all these interactions, we, we know what they're asking for. We know what they wanted Jesus to do. They wanted him to physically heal Lazarus of his sickness. But then Lazarus died. And, and their hope for what Jesus could do faded with Lazarus. Death had the last word. Or so they thought. And that's, that's a big, or so they thought. Or, or maybe what's going on, maybe... Mary and Martha and all these others had been asking for an oil change when Jesus wanted to do something much bigger in their lives than just that. Because cause, cause as we look at Jesus' words and his actions in this passage, as we give Jesus a chance to respond to, to how, Mar how Martha comes to him, how these others are coming to him, we'll see that, that what happens here, it's not a failure of Jesus' power. No, instead... This opens up an, an opportunity for Jesus to show Martha and Mary and all these others that, that, that his saving power isn't small. No, it's bigger 
than, than they think it is. Jesus can save us in bigger ways than we think, not less. And so, so let's look at how Jesus interacts with Martha in verses 20 to 24. Let's see his response just to her and how she comes to him. And we'll see two things about Jesus' identity and how we relate to him that, 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 that challenge any small notions of Jesus' saving power. We'll see that Jesus wants to do more in us than, than, than we think, not less. So let me read verses 20 to 24. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So, so Martha hadn't abandoned faith in Jesus. It's cool to see that. She may not fully know what she's saying here, what she's asking, but there's this seed of faith that she still has. And then Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Up until this point in the conversation, everything that's been said between, between Jesus and Martha has been 100% in line with traditional Jewish belief of the first century. They, they believed that God would powerfully resurrect anyone who had ever lived at the very end of time. But, but then in verse 25 and 26, Jesus takes this, this paradigm that Martha has about God resurrecting people at the end of time, and he completely turns it on its head. He completely rewires it. Look at what he says in verse 25 and 26, where he says this I am statement. He says, says Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Here's that I am statement where we come face to face with key truth about who Jesus is and how he wants us to relate to him, how we can relate to him. Jesus is telling Martha, Martha, no, don't look ahead to the end of time for resurrection. Look at the person you're talking with. Because Jesus says, yes, there will be resurrection at the last day. I'm not denying that, Jesus says. But all of that happens through me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whatever happens on that last day, it happens because of me. This is a big statement Jesus is making. This completely is, is paradigm shifting for Martha. And it can be for us too. Jesus is resurrection and life. Let's, let's spend some time on each of these two pieces so we can appreciate better what Jesus is saying. So first Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. And then he, he quickly follows that up and he explains that saying, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And here's what this means. It means Jesus gives us hope for a future without end. Jesus saves us from death. Death doesn't have the last word. Instead, death opens up a new possibility for life because of Jesus. And it's, it's one thing for those of us here who are young and still running it at about 100%. It's one thing for those of us here who are like that to hear these 
promises that Jesus makes, of, of the hope that he offers. I want all of us to hear this and believe this, but, but I know that it's a very different thing for, for those of us who are, who, who are a little nearer to the end of your race, who, who aren't running at 100% in terms of your physical health. Some of you who have lost dear family and friends who are Christ followers. For you, this word hope has a whole other meaning. It can be so much richer, and this is the hope that Jesus offers us. This is the hope that we all need to latch onto and believe in. Not too long ago, I was in a hospital room talking with a, a, a wife and a young mother whose body had been robbed of health by cancer. It was very aggressive cancer. It was very spread cancer. She tried the treatments and nothing had worked. And she knew that her end was very near. But at the same time, her spirit was strong. Why? Because hope in Jesus to her wasn't just a set of words. It was something she experienced because she had a relationship with Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. And as I was in this hospital room talking to this gal, as we talked about her closing her eyes on this earth for the last time and opening them again in eternity, you could see the very real, substantial way this hope helped her approach death powerfully. You could see the peace that came over her, even knowing what she was leaving behind, because she knew that death isn't the end. Death opens up new life. Because Jesus is our resurrection, Jesus offers us a hope of life without end. So, so Brookside, I want us all this morning to realize a very basic fact we are all going to die. Everyone. Yes, Jesus is kind of his own category, <laughs> defeating death. Yes, there's a couple guys in the Old Testament that dodged the bullet. But with those few exceptions, George Bernard Shaw is right when he says, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. That's us. We don't know when that is for any of us. But through Jesus as our resurrection, death doesn't have the last word. Death opens up new life and all who place their trust in him have hope for an eternal future. And this isn't just an eternal future where we're floating spirits jumping from cloud to cloud carrying a harp. No, Jesus is resurrection. The hope for the ultimate future that God is building towards is that he will raise us very bodily someday from our graves and we will live in a very physical, restored, renewed, perfect heavens and earth. That's hope. Read about it, 1 Corinthians 15. Jot down Revelation 21 and 22. We need to instill hope in us because we live in one of those times where, where hope is, I feel like I say this a lot, is one of those characteristics that, that Christians can be characterized by most, that, that help us stand out the most. 
because talk with people for very long and there's a whole lot of worry and a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of what ifs and what abouts. I, I, I get all that. We can watch the news and talk about headlines some other time. But at the same time, let's not forget Jesus as our resurrection and the hope that he makes available. Let's build that into us. Let's be different as followers of Jesus who is our resurrection. Jesus is our resurrection. He's also our life. And what this means is, is kind of said there in verse 25 and 26, again as well, where he says, I am the life. Whoever, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Whoever lives, how? Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So Jesus isn't just talking about duration of life here. He's not only concerned with our eternity. Jesus is always talking is also talking that the life that, that he gives is, is a kind of life that he wants to build into us. The one who will never die is the one who lives by believing in Jesus in the present. Jesus doesn't just influence our lives a million years from now in eternity, where we're at. Jesus also wants to influence our lives now, today, this week, this month, this Christmas, next year, in the present, Jesus offers us life that is truly life. So, so let's look at what it means when he says, the one who believes in me will never die. Now, certainly Jesus isn't saying Christians will never experience physical death. We all know that. Jesus himself, not very long after he says this to Martha, he himself tastes death. Instead, I think Jesus is saying something like this when he says, the one who believes in me will never die. When he, when he talks about the true life that he gives, he says that our lives, listen to this, our lives should be lived in such close proximity to Jesus, in such a close relationship to Jesus, that when we die, there's not a hiccup in our experience. In, in, in our experience. That's a great statement, isn't it? When we die, there shouldn't be a hiccup in our experience in the way we relate to Jesus now in terms of the, the, the dependence we have on God, the bold steps of obedience we're willing to take for him, the character that he's shaping in us. Our lives should be lived in such a close relationship with Jesus that, that then in death, after death, in eternity, life looks a whole lot then in terms of dependence and trust, like it does now. This means that when we close our eyes on this earth, when that time comes for us, we don't have to relearn how to live life. We don't have to relearn how to live because we've been living so intimately connected to Jesus through his word, through dependence, through trust, through belief. One guy, I love how he says it, he describes this sort of life, this sort of true life that Jesus gives. He says, it's life uninterrupted, starting now and carrying on into eternity. Dallas Willard, he's a name I talk about sometimes, um, he recently passed away. And, and he, said, he said, I think it might be some time after I die that I actually realize that I'm dead. What he's saying there is that there, there shouldn't be this hiccup in our experience because the way we're living now should so closely match 
the way we'll be living in eternity under the kingship of Jesus in his renewed heavens and earth. The, the, the best comparison I have for this, just to help us put some teeth to this, is, is to think of actors who immerse themselves in their character, who, who even when they're not on, this, on the set, they still act like who they're going to be. We, we've all seen this on some talk shows, we've read the stories about some of the famous actors who, did, who do this sort of method acting, who, who immerse themselves so much in who they are on the set that, that there's not an interruption between who they are there on the set and who they are in their everyday life. Now, we're certainly not actors playing some pretend role, but, but, but the comparison is a good one, I think. There should be as little interruption between the way we're living now and the way we will live in eternity in terms of character, dependence, trust, and all those things that go along with the true and abundant and full life that Jesus offers us. What, what's so cool as Jesus talks with Martha and, and shares with her that, that the saying, I am the resurrection, I am the life, this isn't just a set of words because just a few verses after Jesus talks with Martha, Jesus demonstrates his life-giving, resurrecting power very visibly for all to see. Let's read this. Put, put yourselves in this story as I read verses 38 to 44 of John chapter 11. Jesus, once more deeply moved, he comes to the, to the tomb where Lazarus is laid. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Let me stop there. I'm going to take a quick aside from what we're talking about. I, I wonder, I mean, just picture Jesus standing before this tomb with a stone laid across the entrance. I just wonder how eerie it was for Jesus. He knew what was coming to stand outside Lazarus' tomb with a stone laid across the entrance and to think ahead not many days and weeks to when he would be laid in a tomb with a stone across the entrance. Uh, you just wonder about those connections in God's word sometimes. But let's keep reading. So, so Jesus says, take away the stone. But Lord, says Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. So, so Martha, after hearing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, still hasn't quite put together what that means. She still doubts Jesus' power a little bit. She still doesn't have a big enough picture of what Jesus can do because she says, Jesus, there's, there's a dead guy in there, and he stinks. But Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, a demonstration of faith and obedience. And then Jesus looks up and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when Jesus had said this, he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I love the start of verse 44. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen in a cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. Don't you see this man isn't dead? Let him go. So we see that Jesus was true to the words that he spoke all the way back in verse four. 
even though it happened in a way very differently than, than Mary and Martha expected it and guessed it. Lazarus' sickness did not end in death. Instead, through this scene, through this story, we discover that Jesus' saving power is so much bigger than we think. Because if Jesus had just snapped his fingers and said, okay, Lazarus is healed, go back, messenger, have fun, have a meal on me, you know, we would have missed everything that we see about Jesus as the resurrection, Jesus as our resurrection, and Jesus as our life. And in seeing this, we need to realize that that Lazarus is the only, it isn't the only one that needs this big saving work that Jesus offers. The question Jesus asks Martha, remember that back in verse 26? This is the same question he asks all of us. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And then here's the question we've all got to come to terms with. Do we believe this? Do you believe this? If so, how? How is Jesus as resurrection giving you hope? Have you experienced the resurrection life, the the new birth that he can offer now? How is Jesus giving you life? How is Jesus actually changing the way you live today? How is Jesus going to change the way you live next week? Because of what he wants to do in you and through you. And it's so cool to know that that Jesus, he just doesn't demonstrate this, this power, this resurrection power through the raising of Lazarus. We're given an even more vivid picture of his resurrection and life-giving power. Not, not too many days after this miracle that we read about in John 11, in another miracle that is the greatest miracle in history, where, where we see that Jesus himself is put to death for us, where we see that Jesus himself experiences resurrection so that those who believe in him never really have to taste death. We can have life because Jesus died, so we can live. We can have hope for a future without end because Jesus defeated death in his death and resurrection. That's hope. That's life. May that continue to to instill in us hopeful and energized living in our week this week because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I love this last song that Rob chose for this morning. He talked a little bit earlier this morning about about how we need to appreciate the lyrics of the songs that we sing. And it's great how these lyrics of this last song connect so closely to what we've been talking about this morning. Where we're in this last song that we'll sing, we sing that Jesus is light and life. Those aren't just words. Let's mean that this morning. We read... In, in the song, we'll sing in the song that, that Jesus was born, that man no more may die. That's life. That's resurrection power. So Rob, lead us in this last song. And as you do so, let's all love the fact that Jesus is resurrection and life for us. Rob?